Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the elders and pastors here, and we're so glad that you're here for Resurrection Sunday. If you would turn into your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, I'm going to share a little bit this morning about Jesus. And as I was thinking about, as I was thinking about Jesus over the weekend and over this past week, I was struck by two things, and this is the big idea of what I'm trying to say, what I feel like the Lord is trying to say to us, about two things, the presence of Jesus and the perspective of Jesus literally changes everything. I'll say that again. The presence of Jesus and the perspective of Jesus literally changes everything. World history was changed because of the presence and perspective of Jesus. Religious history was changed because of the presence and perspective of Jesus. And countless of individuals, men, women, and children, have been transformed and changed because of the presence and perspective of Jesus. I know in my life, one of the primary ways that the enemy has attacked me was through fear. In fact, crippling fear. In fact, when I felt called to ministry, uh, I first started serving uh, churches when I was a sophomore in college. I served a church called Shiloh Baptist Church in Crawford, Texas, outside of Waco, where I was in college. And the very first time I led a service, first time ever, I had to go into the bathroom and throw up. I was so nervous, so anxious, so feeling like, oh no, I need to show myself worthy of God's approval, of other people's approval. I found myself in a situation where I was hindered by fear. But then Jesus' presence and perspective came into my life. And I want to say to you today, there are some of you that you are experiencing the emotions that we're going to talk about in Luke chapter 24. You're experiencing all of these emotions. You're feel, experiencing fear. You're experiencing timidity. You may be feeling discouragement and sadness today. You may be even feeling like, why is everybody cheering? I don't experience Jesus that way. And I want you to know that the presence of Jesus is here and his perspective literally will change your life. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to go after the text of Luke 24. There are three appearances of Jesus. So we're just going to talk through the story and see how Jesus interacts with these people in Luke chapter 24. Let me pray for us. And then we'll go after the text. Jesus, we honor you here this morning. We honor you because you did not stay in the grave, but you rose victorious and triumphant over all sin, over all death, over all brokenness. And you are alive. 
So we honor you, Jesus. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come, that you will help us to see Jesus in the text, that we would encounter him, that we would get his perspective. And Father, we thank you for your presence here with us, that you have sent your Son and you have given us your Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of adoption, whereby grace through faith we receive adoption as your sons and daughters. So we give you this time, and I ask that you will speak. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 24, there are three resurrection appearances here in this chapter, and we're just going to read through these appearances. I'm going to make a couple of comments, and then we'll be finished. Looking at the presence of Jesus and the perspective of Jesus. I just want you to be looking, put your eyes on the text, and think about what is the presence of Jesus and the perspective of Jesus? How is it different than what these individuals expected on this resurrection Sunday morning. So we'll look at the women at the empty tomb, verses 1 to 12. We'll look at two disciples on the road to Emmaus, verses 13 to 35. And then we'll look at the gathered disciples in Jerusalem, verses 36 to 53. The women at the empty tomb. This is Luke 24, 1 through 12. Let's read. Luke writes this. He says, First day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. So who's the they? It just, we're just jumping into the middle of a story. It says, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Who's the they? We'll skip down to verse 10. Luke tells us who the they are. This is verse 10 of chapter 24. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So you have Mary Magdalene, Joanna, another Mary, and then other women. That's the they who are here at the beginning. Do you see any guys there? Okay, that's all I'm going to say. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed. Everybody say perplexed. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Isn't that some of the greatest statements you've ever heard? He is not here, but has risen. We were in Israel. The MCC team was in Israel just a couple of weeks ago. We actually visited uh, the garden tomb. And there's, you know, debate about where exactly was the tomb of Joseph Arimathea, where Jesus was buried. It was so fascinating. We're in this garden tomb area, and there's a guide who's kind of talking through, giving some perspective, reading the story, you got olive trees all around. It's very peaceful, very calm. And the guide said something that's just stuck in my mind. It's, it's really amazing what he said. He said, you're about to walk. Here, here's, here's the tomb. You're about to walk into the tomb. He says, it's so interesting. Many of you have taken a pilgrimage to come and see nothing. 
People all over the world come to this place to see nothing, right? Isn't that fascinating? There's only one religion where the founder is not in a buried tomb. There's only one religion where the founder is actually alive. Did you know that? All other religions have a founder, and there are burial places where pilgrims will come to pay honor to this founder of this religion. But there's only one religion, Christianity, whereby the founder is actually alive. He died, and then he was buried, and now his tomb is empty. And when you go there, there's nothing there because he's not there. He has so triumphed over the sin and brokenness of the world that we're excited about going to a place where there's nothing. He has risen. It keeps going. Verse 6. Remember how he told you. So these dazzling apparel, these blinged out gentlemen, also known as angels, say to these women, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Verse 8. And they remembered his words. So these ladies, they're like, Oh, remember when Jesus said that? Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we read these texts and we just assume like the disciples have 100% understanding because they've been in church their whole entire life listening to sermons and doing Bible studies. Literally, these ladies went to the tomb expecting to see Jesus' body and they were going to prepare his body with spices. And the blinged out angels say, he's not here. Remember when he said on the third day, he will rise again. And they're like, oh, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they, these women, told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles But these words seem to them as an idle tale. The word idle tale, that word idle means nonsense. Follow me. The apostles looked at the ladies and thought, that's crazy. That's nonsense, what you're saying. Are you seeing seeing the perspective of these individuals? But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So Jesus is not dead. His tomb is empty. He is alive. (laughs) And both the ladies and the men, the followers of Jesus, are confused about what's happening. Do you see it in the text? I just want to make sure you see it. They're not like, we knew this, this is amazing, we're glad this happened just like we thought it was going to happen. Actually, they're going, what? Did you know? Do you remember what he said? They're like, I don't know. I think maybe we were up on the mountain and he was handing out bread and then he said something about the third day. I'm not sure. There's a lot of confusion. Perplexion. Why am I making a point about that? If you were going to make up a story about someone you loved being the creator of the universe and the redeemer of the universe, 
who died on a cross and was raised from the dead, and you were going to make a story. You know, people think that Christianity is made up. Like, let's, let's have an honest question. Some people would say, well, so you're just basing this on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four uh, written accounts. Well, how can you be sure? How do you know for sure? One of the reasons that I believe that is true is if you're making up a story, you ain't going to write the story with you being confused the entire time. You all hear me? Like, if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to be like, hey, hey, okay, Peter, let, let's write this out. You know, it's not real, but let's just write it out. Hey, make sure I look really good in this one. Hey, make sure that I had it the whole time. Make sure that I knew it the whole time. Are you all hearing me this morning? The fact that they are so confused and clueless and thinking that when the ladies come to them, they're like, that's just absolute nonsense. That rings with authenticity, Right? That they would even write that about themselves. That Peter would even write those kinds of things about himself. I, I didn't really believe him, so I sprinted down there. And uh, I looked in there, and I was still confused the entire time. Peter's not writing that if he's making it up. Further, he's not going to go through torture. He's not going to die holding on to a fake story he made up. Y'all hear me? The, the, the prospective disciples... Their change and transformation brings authenticity to the story. But that's not the only thing. The other thing I want you to see is if you notice the first heralds, the first communicators, the first declarers, the first people to communicate, to herald, to preach that Jesus is alive, were who? They. <laughs> Women. You know, that is so scandalous. In fact, somewhat in our culture, there are some who would say women shouldn't be preaching. Even in our culture, it would be considered scandalous. In this culture, it's even more scandalous. When right, that when they heard the words from the ladies... It seemed to them an idle tale. idle tale. It seemed to them nonsense. In this culture, I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying in this culture, they thought women were crazy. Further, they thought women's minds were so susceptible to error that you could not take a woman's testimony and put it in a trial. Did you know that? The testimony of a female held zero in this culture. And Jesus goes, you know what? I'm going to take the most insignificant, the most, the most lowly person, and I'm going to have them be the proclaimers of my resurrection. Again, if you're making up the story, you would never let the they be the proclaimers of resurrection. Ever. You're not going to do it. You'd make sure the stud Peter is like, yeah, I'm proclaiming. I'm going to proclaim up in here. You wouldn't let the ladies, if you're making the story up, you wouldn't let the ladies be the ones to proclaim. In fact, because of the context, the unique context of that first proclamation, what those ladies did is more significant than even what thousands of preachers are doing right now every Sunday. 
In fact, what I'm doing right now is just an echo of these women proclaiming the resurrected Jesus. So there may be some of you here, you think to yourself, I'm unworthy to tell the story of Jesus. Or, I've sinned so much. I've done things that no one knows about. There's no way God would use me to declare his purposes. And I have good news for you. And y'all, including myself, good enough to tell the story of Jesus. That's why it's a good news story. Because Jesus takes broken things, he renews them and refashions them and then uses them for his purposes in glorious ways. So I want to encourage you. You have a story with Jesus. I want to encourage you to tell that story. Last thing that I want to say here about the historical account is this. The eyewitnesses to this resurrection. Luke says in this gospel at the very, very beginning in chapter 1, he's writing to Theophilus, and he says, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, so that you will have certainty about the truth of Jesus. And Luke says, I've gone to the eyewitnesses, and they've shared this story with me, because Luke was not there. So he's taking eyewitness accounts when he writes this gospel. Further, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke writes the second volume of this book, Acts, the book of Acts. He says that Jesus appeared to various disciples and witnesses over a 40-day period. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians says Jesus also appeared to 500 people at one time. And oh, by the way, many of them are still alive, so why don't you go ask them? There's, a, there, there's so much evidence to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that it's almost, it's almost embarrassing, all the evidence. Did you know scholars that do racism? We have found that when you look at all the historical evidence and written documents, that it, it is more likely that Jesus was real than that Julius Caesar was real. Just based off of historical documented evidence. Okay, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole other thing. All right, second story. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is verse 13 to verse 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, 
before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, Don't, you got to love this, O oh, foolish ones, yikes, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he, Jesus, acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. This is the middle of the night now. They returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I want to draw your attention again to the perplexion and the cluelessness on the part of the disciples. Do you see it in the text? They're walking around. They can't even tell it's Jesus. He's right there. They're kept from recognizing him. And, and when he asked them, what are you talking about? They stood still looking sad. Then they said, well, we had hoped that this was the one. And they're, they're shocked by all of this information. I just want to say something. The way Jesus works is so different than we would expect, isn't it? Imagine if you're Jesus. And you see two of your boys. Could be a boy and a girl. I don't, we don't know. At least one guy, Cleopas. You see your boys walk into a and they're like this. If you're Jesus, what do you think you're going to do? What, what, would, what would be your, like, instant reaction? Especially when you say, what things? And they're like, they stood still looking sad. What, what do you think you would do? Guys, it's me, right? Chest bumps, high fives. I did it, right? You would expect that. And said, Jesus is like incognito style. What things? What are you talking about? Who is this Jesus? <laughs> right? And then he's like, okay, I'm, we're just going to do a Bible study while we walk this seven miles. And now he's just going to do a Bible study? And he's not going to be like, hey, by the way, it's me. Boom! Right? No mic drops. No dramatic anything. Jesus is not like us. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And the closer I get to him, everybody, everybody look right here. The closer I get to him, the more I realize 
when you follow Jesus, half the time, you're not really sure what's going on. I lived a lot of my Christian life thinking I was following Jesus. I was just actually just doing what I wanted to do because I had everything planned out. When you, get, when you get up close to Jesus, you realize, dude, this is a different dude. This is a different dude. He has different plans. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not see moving to Cincinnati, Ohio. I love this city. I'm not trying to hate on it. I didn't see it coming. There have been multiple moments in my life. Jess and I, Jess can come up here and say the same. Multiple moments in my life, I'm like, you did what? And in the moment, I thought, what are you doing? Like, Why? And it's only on the back end that I go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. When I was, when I was in college, there were, there, were multiple, there were multiple instances where I was around individuals, a girl, and I thought, I'm going to marry this girl, man. I'm going to marry this girl. This is the one I'm going to marry. And it's only on the back end that I look back and I go, thank you, Lord, I didn't marry that girl. Like, I'll see her on Facebook. I'm like, ooh. But in the moment, I was like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like in the moment, you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? He's not like us. He's not like us. His perspective on life is completely different. There are some of you here this morning, and you are experiencing great discouragement. In fact, you're just like these two disciples. That... The Bible says they stood there feeling sad in the presence of Jesus. There are some of you that are feeling such discouragement. If you would just ask Jesus for his perspective. Because Jesus' perspective is the reality of what's happening. And sometimes our eyes are kept from seeing him. Some of you right now, the reason you're feeling discouraged, whatever is going on, the reason you're feeling that is your eyes have been kept from seeing Jesus. If you will just ask him for his perspective on your circumstance and begin to see it clearly the way Jesus sees it, it will transform that situation. I'm not saying all pain goes away. I'm saying you will see things the way Jesus sees them. Does that make sense? The way Jesus sees your life is reality, not the way you see your life. Let's preach it. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Second thing that I want you to see, Jesus really cares about real relationship with us. Do you see in the text how patient Jesus is just to answer questions? He starts doing a Bible study. He starts with Moses and the Torah, then he goes to the prophets Later we find out that he also does the wisdom literature and he's basically showing them how he is the Messiah they've been waiting for. From beginning to end, he goes through this entire story and he engages with them at a real level. At a real level. I just want you to say, I want you to know if you have a question about your life or about anything, Jesus will answer you. He walked seven miles with these dudes. No, no chest bumps, no high fives, just explaining to them. 
If you ever find yourself reading the Bible and you don't understand it, you do know that you could just ask Jesus and he will open your eyes to see him in the text. So I just want to encourage you. Jesus wants a real relationship with you on a real level. Like if you have a question about your job, let's say that you own your own business and you're trying to figure out what should I do next here, Jesus has an answer in that circumstance. Or let's say you're supervising someone and it's someone that doesn't seem to be able to, you're not clicking with them, they're not clicking with you. Jesus has solutions and answers for that. He wants to speak into that. He's happy to take time to speak into your life, just like these disciples on the road to Emmaus. So wherever you are, whether you're discouraged, whether you're encouraged, Jesus is with you. Invite his perspective into your circumstance. Finally, the gathering in Jerusalem. This is verses 36 to 53. I just want to note something. Luke is not interested in some chronological um, exposition here because we know that at the end of this section, Jesus ascends. Well, there's a 40-day period in between what we just read and what we're about to read, okay? So it's been 40 days now. And then we jump in, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled, frightened, thought they, they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved. Everybody say disbelieved. Jesus. And while they still disbelieved, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now that's my kind of Jesus. Y'all got some food? Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. A couple things I want to say about this section. One, one, Jesus likes to eat with his disciples. Did you know one of the main metaphors in Scripture for fellowship with God is eating? Did you know that? Almost, almost all the major encounters between God and his people involve eating. Covenants involve eating. Remembering him involves eating. When Jesus wants to restore Peter after den- denying him three times, what does Jesus do? He cooks some fish. He's like, hey, let's have a barbecue. The entire Lord's Supper, communion that we He says, do this in remembrance of me. Eat in remembrance of me. In the eternal state, the Bible says that eternity is like a feast. Now, why am I pressing this point? It's interesting because the disciples see this Jesus and they think he's a ghost. And he says, hey guys, look at my hands and my feet. Like he's pointing out wounds. Like, when Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't resurrected as a spirit ghost thing. He was actually fully resurrected physically. That is to say, his body was glorified and renewed. 
Why am I pressing this? Because sometimes people think that like eternity is a spiritual state. Like we're going to be like on clouds, playing harps, with little wings floating around. Like that sounds weird. Actually, the eternal state is a physical reality. It is a glorified physical reality. It's a new heaven and a new earth, which includes real bodies that don't decay. It includes eyes that never dim in their sight. It includes muscles that are never sore or broken. And it includes taste buds that actually get to taste glorious food perfectly. Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't die just to save our spirits, but he died and was resurrected to save our entire selves and to renew perfectly who we are, physically and spiritually. By the way, after the service, we're going to have salmon in honor of this over there, the light bites. So I just want to invite you after the service to go that way and enjoy some salmon. And just think about the fact that when Jesus is around, he's like, y'all got anything to eat? One other thing I want to say about that is this. Some people would uh, deny the resurrection accounts and these eyewitness testimonies, and they say, you know what? These are probably just hallucinations. Tough thing is about a hallucination, it would make sense if it was a hallucination, it was just one person saw a ghost. They're like, oh, it's Jesus. I wanted to see him, and they had this hallucination. It's another thing entirely to have two people that see Jesus, and now he's a physical reality, and they're like touching him. It's another thing altogether to have 500 people that see him in a physical reality. You, know, you, know, you see where I'm getting at here? You start adding all the eyewitnesses seeing Jesus and a, as a physical reality, not like some phantom thing. Oh, I think I see Jesus over there. No, he's standing right there, eating with them. We'll finish up this text. Verse 44, then he said this to them, these, these are my words that I spoke to you while I, was, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance And forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple, blessing and praising God. Last thing that I want you to see here. Jesus, once again, does a little Bible study here, opening their minds to understand the scriptures. He says again, from Moses to prophets to the wisdom literature, all of these scriptures speak about me. And he teaches them that all of the scriptures have been saying the same thing. And it's this. The Bible, from beginning to end, is telling a story. It's telling the story about how God created everything 
And then when that thing, that creation got messed up because of our sin, because of our failure to follow this God and to obey him, when old things got messed up, the Bible is telling the story about how God is on a rescue mission to redeem and restore everyone and all of creation. That, that's what this story is telling. It is the grave, greatest Marvel movie ever. It is all Marvel movies, all the greatest stories you've ever seen or read are shadows of the great story, which is, if we just take a second and look at ourselves, we realize that we are broken on the inside. Like something is messed up on the, on the inside. And God is telling a story whereby he says, I don't want to leave you in this broken state, but I will come into that creation. I will take on human flesh, and I will die on the cross in your place. So all the brokenness of our life is actually placed on Jesus on the cross. That actually, the Bible says that he became sin. He became my sin. All the jacked up stuff I have ever done or thought was put on Jesus as if he had done it. And oh, by the way, all of your sin, too, was placed on Jesus. And the wrath of God towards my sin and your sin and the sin of the world, the wrath of God was poured out on God. God's wrath was poured out on God for you. Did you know that? This is this great story. You don't have to earn the love of God. It has been shown to you in such a way that what you deserve is the anger of God, and he has poured it out on himself in your place. And Jesus dies on the cross. He says, it is finished. Not just his life, but your sin and my sin, the sin of the world, it is finished. He has consumed it all, and he is buried in the ground And on the third day, he is raised triumphantly over all sin. He is raised triumphantly over all death. In, in the cosmic order of things, Jesus literally became the sin of the world. Every evil, despicable, rotten thing he became that. Can you imagine? We can't imagine. And on the third day, God himself, the third member of the Trinity, the Spirit, comes and raises the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, up out of the ground. And why is that so important? Because anybody can just walk around and say, if you come to me, your life will be great. If you come to me, I'll just forgive you of your sins. The Pharisee's like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. Only God can do that. You see, when Jesus is buried in the ground and then he's raised on the third day, he said, I'm going to be raised on the third day, and then he is raised on the third day. It is a stamp of authenticity that Jesus is who he says he is, and he has done what he said he would do. He is God. And for all who will come to Jesus, he will bring forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life. Without the resurrection, as Paul mentioned earlier, there is nothing for us. It's just another dude that said a bunch of stuff and then died. 
There's plenty of those. But there's only one who said, I'm God, and I'm going to die for you on the cross. <laughs> and I'll be raised on the third day. And if you come to me, you'll see forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life. And then he did it. Boss status. And Jesus says, what's amazing? All this perplexed, confused, all these disciples. And what does Jesus say to them? By the way, I'm writing this great story. And I want you to help me finish the story. <laughs> I want you to be my you're, fr- you're afraid, you're discouraged, you're timid. Peter, you deny me three times because of a slave girl, some little girl over here, and you're like scared of her. How are you going to? Don't worry. I will put my very spirit inside of you called resurrection power inside of you. And then you get to be my witnesses to the entire world. See, God is telling a story, and you and I get to be a part of the finishing of this story in being witnesses of Jesus. You say, well, Jamie, I I didn't go to seminary, so I don't know how to, like, talk about this stuff. I have good news for you. Neither did any of those individuals. What they did have was the spirit of the living God inside of them. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead was put inside of them. That's why he said, wait till power comes, and then you'll be my witnesses. Like, well, Jamie, you just don't know all the rotten stuff that I've done. You don't know all the rotten stuff I've done. It's not about whether you are good or bad. It's about where your allegiance is to Jesus or not. He says, I will put my spirit within you, and you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. So I want to ask you, where are you today? Where are you today? Are you like some of these characters in this story who are basically just scratching their head like, I don't know, man. I don't know about all this. If that's you, no problem. Jesus' presence and perspective is available for you. And he is waiting to encounter you today. Some of you may be sitting here, and you're like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and you are discouraged. And there are things in your life that feel dead. And I have good news for you. Jesus wants to bring resurrection life in those places. In fact, at the end of the service, we're going to have some people up here that are going to serve as prayer teams. And I'm going to invite anyone who wants to just come and to receive prayer. You're not meeting with prayer teams. You're meeting here to serve and to share Jesus with you. And finally, there may be some of you here that this whole issue of being a witness and declaring, like you think about like at work, being a witness to Jesus at work because of our current culture where it's like, I don't know, I'm okay, you're okay, don't tell me about your stuff. Let's keep religion as a private thing, not a public thing. You know that's our culture, right? That world right now is in a mode where Jesus is okay for you, but don't be putting that on me. But actually the story that the creator and the redeemer of all things, his story is the kind of story that we're supposed to share, not to keep private. So I want to encourage you, some of you, 
feel like I'm not there. I'm more like Peter denying him 3,000 times at work rather than declaring him to be my king. And so I want to encourage you to ask Jesus to give you his power, to give you his resurrection power. Like that's what we all need wherever we're at in those three circumstances. You're not, not really sure about this stuff. You're experiencing some heavy emotions right now, some things in your life that need to be resurrected, or you're feeling afraid to share this good news. The answer to all of those is the very presence of Jesus and the perspective of Jesus in your life in those circumstances. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite prayer teams to come up. And these teams are just going to be here, available to you to just come, and, and uh, they will pray for you. But let me pray for all of us, and then we will be dismissed. Jesus, we invite your presence now. You've been with us all morning. I invite your presence to come now. For my friends that are experiencing death in their life, there's relationships, there's emotions, there's addictions in their life that feel that all they bring is death. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would bring healing, that you would bring recovery, that you would bring resurrection life. For my friends who are experiencing timidity and fear and anxiety, I ask Holy Spirit that you would come and fill them with resurrection life. That you would fill them with joy. And for anyone in the room that has not switched allegiances to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come. To come and meet with a prayer team. And to experience Jesus today on Resurrection Sunday. So Holy Spirit, come. Bring life. Bring revelation. Bring breakthrough. Jesus, we honor you. Father, we love you and adore you. And all God's people said, amen. Church family, you are dismissed. Be at peace. If you need prayer, come and receive prayer. We also have broiled fish, also known as salmon, over in the light bites area that way. You are dismissed. Be at peace.